Pop Shield, a long-form discussion podcast about musical topics both past and present. I'm Gabe, and I'm joined as always by Dan. Hello. And Darren. Hello. So a little while ago, we received an email from Jack, who writes, In lieu of 50 years since its release, maybe a podcast on Captain Beefheart's Trout Mask replica would be neat. Obviously, the album has had a lot of press recently, but not a lot of exploration into what makes it such an anomaly musically. Really delving into the 28 songs. I'm not sure we'll be able to delve into all 28 songs, but I do want to approach this iconic musical anomaly from a different angle. And I think the best place to start is here. If you frequent any kind of music forum, you'll inevitably see threads asking how to get into Trout Mask Replica. And I'm always a little disturbed to see answers like, you don't have to like it. It's not for everybody. So on a philosophical level, what do you guys think about that? Are there certain albums that everyone should figure out how to like, you know, and is Trout Mask Replica one of them? I think that depends on like what kind of music listener you are. Like if you're just a casual music listener, then sure, if you don't like it, you know, whatever, don't waste your time. But I think if you want to get into like serious listening and like, you know, to like know the history of music and things that are important and so, you know, I mean, not to toot our own horns, but like we do, then I think like you, <laughs> you have to, you, you have to, this, this is an important record. I guess maybe you don't have to learn to like it or love it, but I think you have to at least learn uh, to appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, I think I agree. If you're somebody who is taking the time to like check out places like, you know, Pitchfork or Rate Your Music or these music, you know, boards and stuff like that, I mean, you're already kind of somewhat yeah. further along than the casual listener. Um, and that being the case, just like you would need to go back to, you know, maybe Elvis, uh, you know, the Beatles, like the big ones and stuff like, you know, this album is is in that, you know, historically, it's it's something that I think you have to check out. Now, whether or not you have to like it, I, I don't I don't really think anybody has to definitely like it, but yeah. you should certainly be like aware of it. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't know, because I, I always find myself feeling like, and maybe you guys will disagree, but like if you listen to something or you watch a movie or look at a painting or just anything like that, and you just hate it, there are only two options. Either the painting sucks or you're wrong, you know? Um, <laughs> and like, there's been this new wave, I feel like. Like, Poptimism has just ruined, you know, music criticism, I think, because there's been this new wave of like, hey, whatever you're into, you know, this this music it might not be for you, you know? And it's like, why did you even get in the business of reviewing music then? You know, if like everything is totally subjective. I thought the whole point was you're kind of trying to tell people what's good. Um, and I don't know. I just find I read like a lot of threads on uh, there's a Reddit uh, subreddit let's talk music where there's a lot of music discussion there are just tons of threads about how to get into this album and always these comments about you don't have to i mean you're right if you're just a casual listener maybe you don't have to but doesn't it feel like we got to either decide if this sucks or if you know people who hate it are wrong yeah sure like the, the i think this is a perfect uh pleb filter record <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i think you have to you know when i say like you you, you don't have to like love it you know i'm I'm not saying that like you can't you should at least understand its importance like why people continue to talk about it why you know we're talking about it today you know what i mean like i think that if you can't get that then maybe you should spend a little time you know reading up on it you know what i mean maybe read into the mythology a little bit more because maybe just the album just the music itself is not enough to you know convince you but i think you know taking a deeper dive and i mean you could say that about a lot of 
you know, other bands, sometimes it's the mythology that actually is yeah. a little more intriguing than the album itself. You know what I mean? Just understanding why people consider it a masterpiece. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think, yeah, something like that. Maybe you don't have to like it, but you do have to reckon with it in some way. I mean, it's just this massive thing. And that's basically what I want to try to figure out today. You know how we never actually figure out the thing we want to figure out when we do these podcasts, but nevertheless, (laughs) uh, I want to try to figure out, you know, what makes this album so hard to get into? Why should people get into it? And how does one get into it anyway? So before we sort of dive into that, what is your guys' previous experience with Trout Mask? And would you say it's clicked for you, whatever that means? Uh, yeah, it's definitely clicked for me. I, I love this album. Um, it, it used, if I had to list my, you know, top 20 or something, it would definitely be in there. Maybe even the top 10. Um, wow. I, you know, everybody has like this like story of, you know, the first time they listen to it. And I right. cannot fucking remember the last, the first time I listened to this record. Like I, I have wow. no memory of it. I like, I honestly, I can't like remember a time where I hated it or anything. Um, <laughs> but I like literally can't remember. I, I like... I, I got into Zappa and, you know, especially the mothers, uh, like at yeah. some point and I, I just kind of assumed that it was around then, but I, I honestly cannot remember. Wow. Yeah. I don't know if I can remember the first time listening to it, but I'm pretty sure Gabe, you were the one who introduced me to Captain Beefheart at some point. Uh huh. Cause I've had it, you know, I've had it for a long time. I've had, um, this and safe as milk. Like I've had it like on my old iPod way back in the day and I had definitely listened to it obviously very familiar with like you know frown land and probably the you know very beginning of the record but um i can't recall like a specific time where i was like you know totally obsessed with it or anything like that but um i mean yeah i've i've definitely like periodically i guess listened to it over the years yeah i actually do have that classic story of like the first time i heard it i mean i just it's not an interesting story but i just remember exactly (laughs) where i was when i heard it and you know it is one of those things because i think when you're young you're kind of getting into the history of music and you're kind of like you know whatever led zeppelin and pink floyd and stuff and this is like often the first you know really weird thing that you find Mm -hmm. i think just because it's somehow like in the rolling stone top 500 albums of all time and that kind of thing um but yeah i just remember being like my jaw was on the floor and i just hated it like i thought it was so I, like a joke you know i just i couldn't even I, I was so pissed that i even like i was so angry that i listened to the whole thing without even stopping <laughs> and just fumed you know and it's weird because i i then was like having a similar experience to the the things i see on these music forums which is like what am I missing? You know, I remember getting home and like I played it for one of my friends immediately. And I was like, listen, imagine a band that's like the best singer, the best guitarist, you know, the best drummer and the best bassist all together. And of course the punchline is when I start Frownland and we both like burst into laughter (laughs) and how terrible it was. But somehow I just like, it's like I wanted to solve the puzzle and I just kept listening. And then it was like, at one point I just caught myself like, humming along to hair pie you know and i was like holy shit i think i actually like this so would you guys say i've heard this a lot is it essential to sort of get into or listen to other captain beefheart records first you know a lot of people say that listening to safe as milk is like the key that unlocks this album are you guys on board with that i think it's it's better if you do just because it especially makes you not uh expect what's gonna happen you know, because safe <laughs> as milk, like the title, you know, it's it's like 
it's i mean it's it's got some weirder moments but it's essentially a normal record um uh-huh. but i i don't think it's the the key to this i i'm i'm sure i listened to trout mass before i listened to safe as milk um they're both excellent mm-hmm. uh of course but i i don't think it, you 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 have to listen to that to get this one or or anything yeah, I mean that's that's not the path I took at all. Like I just continued to listen to Trout Mask. I yeah. you know, I had read that, you know, Safe as Milk is like a normal record or something that's more accessible. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like I've got to understand this one. This is the one that I have to keep on trying. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I felt that way too. And I just feel like I sort of got into this through brute force, though I did end up, you know, getting into a lot of his other records, especially Safe as Milk, which I think is really great. Mm-hmm. But you know, one thing that's that is sort of weird is that I feel like Safe as Milk gives you some idea of like what to look for, like what to grab onto as you're listening to Trout Mask. And we'll get into this a little bit, but there are like quite hooky, garage rocky type, you know, parts scattered through this that you they're like the very first things that you can start to like get a handle on, you know. Um, but let's talk about the mythology. You know, I want to know if it's important to know this mythology, but maybe we should kind of go over it maybe you can help me dan but you know it's there's a lot of misdirection you know of what was really going on but what is your best understanding of how this album was created yeah i mean this you want the real story or like beefheart's story because according to beefheart he like uh sat down at a piano for eight hours and wrote this entire record uh and he does not know how to play piano um <laughs> right that's the that's the the story the real story is that it like it was over like eight months or something um, and he did r- write it on piano and he doesn't know how to play piano, but the, the drummer drumbo, <laughs> uh, like, uh, <laughs> I guess he did know music and he would sort of like write out, you know, he was like the, uh, uh, stenographer, you know, musically yeah, for, yeah. for Beefheart and he would like teach the band and everything. Um, cause like one of the big problems was, is like Beefheart utilized the entire piano, which is a much bigger range than you know a guitar right. has or a bass individually has um and whatnot um yeah and another myth that he he said that he taught all of these oh, young yeah. people how to play <laughs> their instruments but they actually were like very accomplished musicians um i want to speculate maybe on why he said that but other interesting stuff is that um they basically like lived in a pretty rundown house for a while in a very cultish kind of like charles manson style uh torture chamber kind of a vibe like where these like young like 18 and 19 year old musicians he's just like basically emotionally abusing them the whole time like they weren't allowed to leave except to buy groceries they're like subsisting on like lima beans or something you know one can like a day and being made to rehearse constantly they're like they're they talk about like just going to sleep where they were rehearsing and then waking up and just immediately beginning again and like you know, so there, there's something weird, but it's like, there's enough truth there, right? That we know that this was, this is not just a chaotic mess. This is like really intensely rehearsed uh, music, you know? I mean, what do you make of all this stuff, Darren? I mean, I think it's important. You know, I think it really opens up the album in an interesting way when you start to kind of understand. Because obviously, I mean, if you come into this without any knowledge of any of this outside stuff, it sounds like a total mess. And you're just like, what the hell am I listening to? You know what I mean? Um, and yeah. I think your your mind kind of immediately goes to like, geez, these guys are like amateurs. They sound horrible. Like, what is <laughs> right, this? Right. You know, but learning that like, hey, these guys were actually 
the band at least were actually like real musicians learning about how they spent all this time rehearsing, you know, actually like learning how to play these songs and being able to do it over and over and over again. It really changes. It changed my perspective on, on the album in like a very intense way. Yeah. And it's weird because, you know, like Dan said, he spent, he actually spent longer, most likely writing or composing this. Um, and a lot of effort went into sort of transcribing all of the stuff that he was sort of inventing on the piano. Um, there's, you know, there's basically his early career. It seems like he was basically unhappy with the pressures that the studio would put on him as if he wasn't able to do what he really wanted. And that this was his first chance, uh, thanks to sort of signing to Zappa's label, um, who was a buddy of his to really do what he really, really wanted. So my question is like, I find it so perplexing that all evidence points to like this being really uh, a labored over like intentional masterpiece. And yet he's spreading rumors that these are a bunch of amateurs that don't even know how to play music, you know, and that he wrote it in like a couple hours. And, you know, why? Why is he doing this? Yeah, I honestly, I don't don't really get that because... I, I think it is more impressive that it is a labor to over thing and that it's not improvised. I think I think a lot of times people anything that's like uh, odd or like uh, dissonant and stuff, people like just immediately say like, oh, you improvised that. And it it really right. kind of gets under my skin. Um, so but him like feeding into that. I don't know if it was like sort of like, a, um, you know, like maybe uh, I don't want to use the word embarrassment, but you know, you know what I mean? Like a shyness or something like, oh yeah, you know, we just put it together hmm. or something. But you know, I don't know. He's also like probably crazy. So <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing is like, I, I, I want to keep coming back to this, but it's like, you, you can't really tell if he is crazy or not. And it's like the mixed stories that you get, the mixed mythology. It makes you think like, holy shit, this is a madman. This is like a direct look into the mind of a madman, you know? And yet, um, you know, you you just don't know how true that is because it seems to be like a really carefully well thought out project. Um, there, you know, and yet there are like all of these little things that we'll talk about scattered throughout the album that are like completely sort of half-assed, you know, like mistakes and, you know, the sound yeah, of like, like studio chatter or like, yeah, it's chatter messing, and like messing up just them talking. Like they're just having, <laughs> they're just like right, right. say stuff and they're messing up. And so when you listen to that, you think like, Oh, he's in on the joke, you know, like this is funny to him too. Like recording a bush is also funny to him, you know, (laughs) but then you hear that he's like basically torturing these poor musicians for like nine months to, you know, force them to get everything just right. And it's like, is he, you know, maybe that's not even true. Is he crazy or is it, you know, you know, you see what I'm saying? It's like very, very perplexing. And I feel like the perplexingness makes this really a lot more interesting than if it was just one or the other yeah i mean i feel like that there's a mixture of things happening and to dan's point when you were kind of like you know a little confused as to why he would lean into the improvisation like to me it feels like just like you were saying gabe like he wanted an opportunity to really get to do whatever the hell he wanted so he took those steps and then he basically was given the platform to do whatever the hell he wanted but in order to do that, I mean, it still required some normal, you know what I mean? Something that like was a little more traditional, but like everything else, like the recording itself, the music, all the different things that he's having is like leaning against that. You know what I mean? Like I imagine the reason why that whole 
you know, fast and bulbous thing happens where they mess up and he tells them, no, uh, you gotta do it this way. Like, they leave it on the record because it's like, yeah, because this is whatever the hell we want to do. Like, it, you know, we're just going to leave it on there. Like, it's not, there's no decision making about like, well, we got to cut that because it, it's not going to sound right if it, there's studio chatter. You know what I mean? Like, those rules are just kind of like out the window. And almost every yeah. time there's studio chatter, like, um, he either has to like coach them to say the right thing. Like, in the, the um, you know, what do you run on, Rocket Morton? He's like, say beans. And, you know, like, yeah, yeah. He, he's always, like, there's only, I think, like, one that he doesn't really mess up or, or anything, you know? So, it's, like, almost, like, is it intentional that they're messing up, too, you know? Like, is even that part of it? Yeah, I know. It makes you wonder, right? It, the, everything is, like, in question. And then this whole, like, mythology, it gives this almost dark undertone to this thing. Because when you just listen to it, it sounds like... Some dudes like kind of goofing off, having fun, who may or may yeah. not know how to even play music. And then you read this stuff and you're like, whoa, what the hell? And yeah. then when you hear him say like, say beans, you know, is it like a <laughs> say beans, man? Or is it like a say beans or yeah. you won't get to eat? Yeah, you know, yeah. like literally that is what he's eating is beans. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Be truthful. <laughs> Laser beans. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. So many questions, right, that this that the that this invites. Um and it's in the record as well, I think. Now, I want to move into describing the sound, but there's a pretty interesting YouTube video that Jack actually directed us to that's like a 30-minute you know, musical theory breakdown of the song Frownland, which is only like a minute and a half long itself, which is funny. So, But it's kind of making this case that it's not improvised, that it's really carefully constructed. Um, he sort of breaks it down into like these little sections where all the instruments are playing like, you know, recognizable patterns um you know as we try to describe the sound do you hear that like attention to composition in the music yeah i mean if you really like focus and and especially like that 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 video uh you know is is like really good but uh you know if you focus on just like one um you know instrument uh you can you can mm-hmm. tell like it, it repeat you know it's not it's not random yeah, yeah. It, i mean it's it's a song it's like a bunch of cut up songs and, and odd time signatures that switch around right. and st- you know which is like not something people are used to um most of the time but it, it definitely like is written and like repetitive and patterns and everything yeah it definitely works in like little blocks you can tell that that's kind of how he wrote it where you know there's just like a segment that he must have written on the piano and that you know drumbo transcribed and you know then he wrote like another segment to go on top of that or something and then moved on to the next segment and it yeah with with those little segments i i read that he like had a friend who was like learning to splice tape and so to like teach himself how to how to splice tape he was taking like different pieces of regular you know other people's music and that that had the same tempos and and, like making you know basically like plunder phonics but with with tape like making new things and beefheart heard it and he said that that's what i want and so like this whole album is like cut-ups you know like the the burrows thing um but like yeah yeah. audio whereas you know a lot of people have done lyrically cut-ups yeah that's actually a really really good point um and you know the idea of like you know they say that like naked lunch by burrows was in like scattered all over the floor out of order and like sort of put together in some some way you know but it really reads like very illogically and this is kind of like a musical version of that um darren so if we're if you were just going to describe the sound of this record to a new listener how would you do it well i mean i would say that you've got your basics 
two guitars, a bassist, and a drummer. Um, and kind of like what you guys were mentioning, you know, things will immediately seem pretty scattered. You know, you're not going to hear, you know, you're not going to hear all the guitars playing along with each other at the, in the same time signature, the, you know, and the bass filling in a great rhythm section with the drums. Like all of that is just completely out the window. And when you throw that out the window, it's going to immediately sound like a huge mess. But like what you were, you were sort of mentioning, like if you actually like focus on the guitar in the left channel or whatever, you'll, st- you'll pick up the patterns, you know what I mean? Like you'll start uh. to understand what you're, what's actually going on. And it's really strange, like Frownland, for instance, I feel like we're going to go on, on and on about this one song, but I think this song kind of represents the majority of the album anyway. You know, it's weird for me, like when I listen to it, it's like, the drums stick out to me and then all of a sudden it like shifts to a guitar and then it shifts to a, like a, a bass. Like it's just like these little moments that like somehow put the song together into my brain to where it, it doesn't sound like a mess to me. You know what I mean? It actually sounds like completely deliberate. Although unlike most of my favorite bands where I'm like inspired to pick up a guitar and try to play the song, I have no right. idea how I would try to like, <laughs> you know, try to do anything like that. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a very different listening experience uh compared to like the majority of things i normally listen to yeah how would you describe it dan i'm if i was explaining to somebody like the first thing i would say like is do you like free jazz because if they say yes i'll say you're gonna be fine you'll like this record it's basically just free jazz it it, like to without knowing uh, uh, much it sounds like you know three or four people like kind of doing their own thing you know it, it seems like everybody's sort of playing their own song and then it came together um but it, you know come together in the sense that they packed them all on the same track um like it, it just yeah. sounds like um like cacophony to to if you at first like until you get used to the the, the right. world of it and then you start to to see like oh no you know just like this guitar is playing and and you don't have to know the time signature you know uh, like but this this guitar is playing in you know a, a time signature this one's playing in a different one and so like they only match up every you know whatever bars like you know that kind of thing like it starts to like it, it starts to make yeah. sense yeah, but I, I feel like it, it. You know, it sounds like a total cacophony at first, but then it starts to sort of make sense. But it it, it feels like it's just almost almost coming together. You know, but like not quite. Uh, there's for some reason some sort of like separation between everything. Um, it's interesting to note how the album was recorded, which is basically that they you know, rehearsed in this house for a long time and did a little sort of demo recording, it sounds like, in the house. Um, And some of that stuff ended up on the record, like the really lo-fi tracks we'll talk about. Um, For the most part, though, the band went into the studio and, like, knocked out everything they had rehearsed um, in studio. And then Beefheart overdubbed his um, vocals and the horns uh, that are all over this album. separately and you know famously he's he didn't want to wear headphones so he's like sort of listening to the playback like you know bleeding through under a door (laughs) so he's like apparently a little not as in sync as he might have been um but the the way it's recorded seems to sort of emphasize this separation and what's cool about that is that it's really easy to hone in on just one instrument at a time like you were saying darren um the other thing i want to mention is when you said free jazz you know, it's kind of like 
there's a lot of free jazz here, but it's sort of blended with kind of like a Delta blues mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yeah. vibe. A little bit of like American primitive guitar is in there. A little garage rock is in there. But, um, you know, it, it's just interesting because everything is so, it feels like it's not quite gelling together. Everything feels really dry. You know what I mean? Like there's not even a touch of reverb no, anywhere. <laughs> it feels it, it. The guitars are like so harsh and just like, you know, glaring. Um, there, the that video that we were talking about, it mentions that at least for Frownland, and I'm willing to bet a lot of other songs, they're using like steel picks, which makes you know the guitars even harsher. Um, I almost feel like everything, including his voice, is almost like trying to sound like a horn or something. It's just like pure scronk, you know, mm-hmm. all over the place. Yeah, no, I, I think so. And I think that is like, like uh, this record is like the perfect like melding of uh, pop music with jazz, free jazz. Like you said, you know, it's got this, these hints of, of the blues and everything. Um, so like, I think you're right. I think it is sort of like trying to, uh, that, that, that horn scronk is like the, the signature of free jazz basically. And I, I think he's like sort of trying to emulate that sound or, or that that feeling at least like with um, you know p- pop instruments you know the guitar drum bass singing yeah and I think there's a little bit of like exploration you know a lot of free jazz is sort of just like exploring all the different like timbres and textures mm-hmm. that a horn can make you know and I feel like a lot of the instruments are doing that there's a lot of like use of bass chords which is always going to make something sound like a complete fucking mess you know and the drums are like kind of drunken sounding like like it's a little sloppy you know some people use the word polyrhythms I don't know if it's actually intentional polyrhythms but it's got like a sloppy messiness where like nothing like nothing really hits um right in time with it with everything else um bass chords and stuff it can make like a huge mess at points um and then his vocals too are just it's like every song he's sort of just exploring a different range of his absolutely amazing voice to the point where it's almost like a bunch of different versions of captain beefheart you know i I always think of like when you get to the song like um hobo changba you know it's like wow, well, this is a new version of his voice that he hasn't used in the last, like, 24 songs. Uh, you know what I mean, Darren? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know, a couple things, like, I agree with, like, the the tone of the guitars that you're sort of mentioning and everything. Um, I feel like the drums, I, I agree with you, it, it does sound, like, never quite on, but it really sounds like it's sort of gelling with just different instruments at different times, you know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. and I... Yeah, I'm not a professional drummer or anything, but like, you know, this guy, he knows what he's doing. Like he's, he's a, he's a musician. He's an actual drummer. You know what I mean? You can kind of tell, but it it just sounds like he picks different moments to blend in. I mean, there's definitely moments throughout yeah, yeah. the album where it's like, oh, we have a rhythm here for like 10 or 15 seconds. You know what I mean? Like I, I can clearly yeah. understand it. And then it like shifts suddenly, but it doesn't like, it's not like. You know, I know you mentioned that it sounds like everyone's kind of doing their own thing. Like, I feel like the drummer, at least, is following along with somebody I think, in the group. You know what I mean? I think the thing that makes it, like, um, sound so odd is that he's not always, like, following the same person. You know, like, for yeah, for yeah. a bar or two, he might be following the bass. For another bar or two or whatever, he, he might be following one guitar, you know, so on and so forth. And, and that's, like, that's not, like, normal, you know. Yeah. And he's also using, like, pretty strange drum configurations you know what i mean it's not usually like hi-hat oh, snare yeah. and, and bass you know what i mean and they're also pr- 
prepared with a cardboard. <laughs> right, right, right. So they have like a strange, like sort of, I don't know, it adds like a, a strange, strange timbre to the whole thing. Um, I also think it's extremely interesting that they recorded all this without the vocals there. I don't know how like rehearsed the vocals were. Um, I sort of assume that he like did the re- like worked really hard on the on the basic tracks and then experimented on his own with horn configurations and stuff. But it's really interesting how the musicians like sort of play to his vocals so often, you know, like they'll sort of drop out sometimes for like what feels like really crucial lines, even though they don't make any fucking sense. But, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? They, they sort of like emphasize in a really like dynamic way, different parts of his strange surrealist you know monologues yeah i mean i'm not i'm not even gonna lie like i thought that he was singing a lot like i thought they were all playing at the same time uh Mm -hmm, you know before mm -hmm. i learned that this was all overdubbed like i had no idea like i felt like he was right there playing with the band because it just seemed to work even though you're listening to a mess like the right when you know when the moments came the song ended and it didn't feel like he had more lyrics than the music or less right right right. it just it Mm -hmm. just worked you know no i agree i think it's i I think it's probably because of like we said like how much rehearsing they did they probably like he probably sang in the rehearsals and they like knew exactly you know when that would be you know so that they could do it without him which is like actually insane you know to record like that you know to not even do like just just have him sing and then do the real takes (laughs) later you know right yeah i think it's really interesting like a moment in um when big jones sets up you know the it's like quite a wild sort of free jazzy kind of like track and um you know pretty like wild punk like stooges territory almost Mm -hmm. um and then it just sort of completely stops and there's just like the sax like alone you know solo little like hints of instrumentation everything comes back in Later, there's another pause where it feels to me like there was going to be another sax solo, but instead it's like just silence for like, you know, 20 seconds. And I just feel so much like in rehearsal, he was like, I'm going to solo over that. And then was like, actually, it's kind of cool when I don't do anything (laughs) at all. Um, So There's a lot of stuff here where you can kind of like hear into the process a little bit and especially that lo-fi stuff, which I I do want to talk more about. How about the lyrics, though? I mean... I don't know how possible it is to even describe the lyrics, but how would you do so? I mean, do you find them funny or how do you think about them? I mean, they seem like uh, most of it seems sort of like Dadaist poetry, you know? It's just sort of like yeah. uh, uh, most of the time it's like just words that like probably sound cool together to, to be exactly. part. In fact, like uh, in one of those studio chatter things uh, when they're talking about the... Uh, um fast and bulbous he says uh-huh. like if you listen really close he says i love those words yeah you know yeah, yeah, right, and, right, right and that i think is like what most of the songs here are but then they're strangely like like uh dakau blues is like sort of straightforward it's just like <laughs> a straightforward like song about the holocaust and like uh but it's got kind of like an outsider art like vibe you know um a lot of this does where you know he's saying stuff like world war three and stuff and like right. six, 60 million jews like kind of you know multiplied that by 10 um in his head you know it reminds me of like old dirty bastard when he like oh. you know would would be every mc in all of the 52 <laughs> states yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know it's like 
this kind of like outsider madman thing that again i can't tell if it's on purpose or not but yeah even those rare moments where it's like just a concentrated song there's something a little surrealist and strange about it you know yeah i mean always like even uh you know uh, neon meat dream of a octafish you know instead of (laughs) and and also meat uh spelled oddly um and and we're gonna we keep talking about this youtube video but um like in that he like talks about like how uh beefheart like writes the lyrics to frownland like he he's purposely like spelled things odd like he uses like your like y-e-r instead of your uh and he even like um abbreviates two like t apostrophe which uh seems like a waste (laughs) since it's the same amount of characters (laughs) um and things like that you know so like you're right yeah there's always like even when it's normal there's always like some sort of like uh, strange cloud around it. Yeah. Also, like in keeping with the, I mean, Frownland is a good example of this, but in keeping with the um, sort of Charles Manson esque qualities of this, you know, a lot of the songs have sort of like a utopian uh, theme about mm-hmm. like, you know, stuff like where everybody could be happy and like why every why people why do people have to fight and go to war and stuff like that and like couldn't we all get along? It's almost like hippie, but then it's so twisted and bizarre that it's almost you know it's more like charles manson after he had been in prison for like you know 20 30 years you know Mm -hmm. and he's just like a raving lunatic um but still preaching like somewhere deep down in there is like this message of peace or something you know 60s style um there's other stuff about like escaping into the wilderness like where life is more pure and stuff like that um what do you make of the lyrics darren yeah i mean i i pretty much agree with what you guys are saying like some there's moments where it really sounds like <clears throat> almost like a stream of consciousness happening, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mixed with, you know, just selecting words that sound really great together. Like the point you made, Dan, was exactly what was like kind of on my mind. Um, but then again, like you look at like things like Frownland and I mean, read the lyrics and it's like that that all makes sense. I mean, I, I get it's not like totally so far out there that I can't at least follow along. Um you know, with a an album as dense as this one, twenty eight you know songs in, I kind of like lose myself. In you know, by the time I'm like ten or fifteen songs in, where I'm just not really, you know, I'm not looking for themes or anything like that. I, right. I feel like every song is like a kind of exists on its own, mm-hmm. you know, with some sort of theme. Like in that that one like ten minute uh, YouTube video, like really focused on Frownland, but it also kind of like it kind of went through a really quick succession of every single song and showed like a little piece of art to each song. I don't know if you guys remember that. Just like uh, a, the Vox yeah, video. Sequence of that. That's, yeah, the yeah, Vox. That's, yeah, that's sort of exactly what I think of. Like every song has, you know, some sort of like picture, some sort of artwork, you know what I mean? I, like, like a vignette almost. I think that's a, gr- I, I think that's a great point. Like, you know, th- and we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about this more, but this album is like, an art album you know a lot of people they throw around the term like art rock and stuff this is like this is art and i i think you're right like each each song is its own sort of thing like it's it's a audio painting or sculpture or whatever which beefheart did both of those uh things like outside of music yeah yeah i mean for me you know i think that what you said dan is is for me like the most important part which is that the lyrics are mostly based around like the sound of words and um and and that if it really fits with the like exploration of sounds that the instruments are doing um you know i I think about like neon me dream of of an octafish um 
which by the way, it feels like, in, you know, very intentional, like you were saying that it's like a octafish, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that was really a decision, which again, somehow contradicts like the pure outsider art thing that, that he's trying to push, you know, but you know, there's like lines where he's just clearly playing with words, you know, he's just like fact and feast in tubes, tubs, bulbs, ingest, incest, ingest, ingest, and feast, incest, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like he's literally just playing around with the sound of words and it's like nonsense, but it also kind of evokes pretty strange surrealist imagery that I think you could match up in some strange thematic way. Um, yeah. And the other thing I want to ask is like, you know, if the lyrics are sometimes funny, which they definitely sometimes are, I've heard people say that this is like one of the few albums where the music is also funny. Would you guys agree with that? Uh, n- no, I-, I feel like I don't want to sound like a dick or like pretentious or anything, but I think if you find it funny, you're, you maybe not getting it, you know, like, it's like, ah, oh, you know, I, I feel like if, you th- if you're thinking it's funny, you're still in the, the mindset of like, oh, these guys don't know what they're doing or something. Maybe, maybe I'm, you know, hating fun, but <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Darren? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a little, I think it's a little funny. You know what I mean? Like, um, I think of like the way the song, like Bill's corpse starts. It's just like, it just, it just seems like so intentionally, like strange the way it's played. And the way the uh, third drums are just sort of like clamoring along, like you know, it's a, it's a it's a bunch of notes being played on the guitar. The drums don't have to do that, you know what I mean? Like the drums don't have to try to match all the notes being played, but that's like what's happening. So it just sounds like a huge like it just sounds me- messy. And it's to me, I just find it like funny because again, uh, by this point in the album and sort of understanding a bit about the story and stuff. It's like, I don't, I know that these guys are not just improvising and just making shit up. Like there was an intention behind doing it this way because, you know, but I don't think their intention was for it to be funny, you know? Well, yeah, but I mean, I don't think they were intending to be like completely serious either. Right. I mean, yeah, probably not. I mean, mean, with the lyrics, sometimes they really are. Yeah. Like quite funny. You know, there, there are like the, you know, little goofing around moments and stuff. And there's also like, you know, I just think about, you know, like China pig, you know, it's like this lo-fi, like pretty straight blues song. It's like so lo-fi that it sounds like one of those old, like Robert Johnson recordings basically. And he's sort of like improvising lyrics and stuff. And then he starts doing like pig noises, you know, in the background. (laughs) And then, you know, but then like the best like musical joke of all is like, you know, that's like a five minute track of just like, it's the first time you're like chilling out a little bit in the album. As soon as it ends, like we get into my human gets me blues and it's like, <laughs> and you're just like, Oh fuck, we're back. All right. Um, you know, th- there's stuff like that that just does sort of tickle me, but maybe what tickles me is what frustrates other people. I want to know, you know, if it's not obvious, what makes this album so challenging for so many people? I think because it like, uh, sounds nothing like um any popular music you know like no like no other band uses like uh polyrhythm polyrhythm to like the extent that it's used here meaning like the a guitar is on one rhythm uh, another guitar is on a different one the drums are on a third mm. you know bass is on a fourth uh, like no, nobody's doing that kind of stuff uh in, in normal music the lyrics you know uh, uh unless you are already into like weird poetry or something you've probably not heard lyrics uh really like this um things like like you said like the most of the basses played chords which is like something that never happens in rock music um uh-huh. i mean even just the the mixing of this is like 
like you said too the the guitars are like so tinny and and harsh um and i mean even his voice you know like he i I think he's a great singer but it's sort of he's sort of a great singer in the way that i think dylan's a great singer or like people you know (laughs) tom waits and stuff you know he's he's not like um you know frank sinatra or something he he's 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 more in the wheelhouse of of a tom waits of a dylan uh you know some somebody who's got like a um a a different odd but like great voice you know it's just there's nothing in this record uh is quote-unquote like normal yeah i mean there's just there's just not a lot to latch on to even immediately i mean frownland i think arguably might be the most accessible song but even then you're you know you're kind of left with not a lot to immediately grab onto and when his voice comes in very similar to like what you mentioned like tom waits to me like my experience with like neutral milk hotel like hearing jeff mangum's voice for the first time i was like whoa like this is a a little jarring at first like that's kind of how i felt and then the second track on this on this album (laughs) is just beefheart acapella yeah yes and and then he's like he's super pitchy he's like just (laughs) yeah you know not on rhythm and he'll just like say a word because it rhymes like you know what i mean like that's that's tough man that is is a tough start to you know what will end up being 28 songs you know what i mean like it's a long record to get through i think i think it's the onslaught it's like the length of this thing (laughs) for me is what really makes it challenging and it's like it's a lot of work to get through (laughs) and um it's just punishing you know the whole time i think that there there are though there are like things that you can latch on to um throughout the problem is like if you try to listen to someone sitting it really starts to sound quite samey um you know by the end and you know it starts to it, it almost like starts to revert back to what it you know first sounded like in a weird way because i feel like um you know if you listen to like i don't know the beginning of like Pina or some of these other like tracks uh, that are like super super aggressive. Uh, Pina, of course, has like just screaming by <laughs> that other band member, and then Beefheart is just in the background screaming as well. Um, you know, it's, I, I just always wonder like, is this is this what it sounds like to new listeners? You know, because this I don't I I honestly can't understand anything. But then they give you these little moments, so I want to talk about those moments. Like, in, in as far as highlights of the album. It's hard to say that there are like full songs maybe that are like pure highlights, but you know what I'm talking about, how there are those moments that you really start to, you first start to latch onto to get into this thing. Does anything jump out at you guys? Um, I, I think, I mean, a full song that I think does like sort of uh, jump out is Moonlight on Vermont. It's like sort of the closest yeah. to a normal thing. And in fact, it was recorded like at a different time than the rest of the record. Yeah, I think you can tell. Um, yeah. I think like that one you know if you can make it to there and then you can like get into that song i i feel like that that's that can be the key to the record you know like i i think it can jump out it's the closest thing to like a safe safest milk sort of like like it's it sort of is the bridge between safest milk and and this record um but i i think i think otherwise you know besides that I, i i think something will grab you you know like the lyrics probably are are maybe the easiest thing you know like when you start to when you when you start to hear the humor in it you know and the little skits and even just some of the like ridiculous stuff he says like while singing you know like that that stuff like the humor in that can like bring you you know you just want to hear what else he's saying and then like you you get used to the music and then you know like eventually i think you like sort of 
can grab on to the rhythms of it and stuff like like I, I whenever i listen to this record a lot like it makes me like constantly like think about like the 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 crazy way the drums are playing and stuff and like trying to figure it out and everything uh i never like really can but it's like it becomes like infectious you know how like a song gets stuck in your head like yeah. this gets stuck in my head but it's like i don't i can't my mind can't like pro- reproduce the exact rhythm so it's like it's stuck in my head like trying to figure it out you know if that makes any sense at all yeah i mean for me it's like there are there are just like these little moments where it sort of comes into focus and i feel like that's really deliberately done to kind of like play with you because if it was just an onslaught of like chaos the whole time uh it would be like impossible just impenetrable you know um but there are these like moments that are so genuinely like catchy you know you mentioned moonlight on vermont that's definitely one of them um frown land kind of starts us off i think in a pretty accessible way but i think about stuff like in you know like ant-man b you know it's like man that was what i was thinking of (laughs) (laughs) it's like immediately completely catchy it's a completely normal song basically and then it's like who do that man be you know it's like fun to sing along to and then it's going to descend back into chaos but you know what i'm talking about darren like these moments are always popping up that you are like oh this is actually making sense all of a sudden yeah and i think that's what like keeps me going into the album you know what i mean like yeah. similar to what you just said if it just like got completely out of control or just continued on like being chaotic i don't think i could make it but like there's just enough in like pretty much every song whether it's you know some little skit at the end of the song or yeah at the beginning or whatever that just kind of like reignites my my interest even well you know which is again like a an ac- yeah, yeah. acapella thing like it's it like i found myself wanting to say you know wow you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah yeah and what's really bizarre is like wanting to hum these things out loud but like literally no one no one in your vicinity would ever you know <laughs> have any idea what in the world you're doing like <laughs> it's a very private yeah. experience yeah yeah but i so i actually wanted to bring up that you mentioned darren that you know you think frownland is pretty catchy and what i genuinely can't tell is like is it catchy or is it just that it's like the most listened to song because it's the first one it's like you you kind of hear it the most it's like hard to make it all the way through this record yeah um and i like I, i basically was realizing this week that like the first like fourth of the album i can actually sing along to and i like actually cannot resist singing along to um and then it like starts to get a little hazier where there are just moments um popping in and it just makes me wonder like if i you know listen to the second half you know just like a million more times would it be sing-alongable you know i think so i mean i i've listened to this record a million times and uh it just like I, I hate to say it because it makes me sound pretentious, but it just sort of sounds like normal music to me now. You know, like it, it's like I have to like think about the weirdness, you know, because like it's become where I do like know what what happens in it, you know. Um, yeah. And and yeah, I mean, there there's definitely like things that are sing alongable. Uh, Sugar and spikes is like uh, you know one that the, yeah, the, yeah. the toe tapper. I even I mean hobo cheng ba like. Yeah, it's no, fun it's fun to like say that i i, I love the blimp uh you know it's the it's the yeah, blimp frank yeah. it's the blimp like i love to like say that uh <laughs> you know and stuff like i i, I think like I, I think what you said like frown land seems very accessible because it's the first song i i think to a new listener it's actually like kind of great that frown land is the first song and not moonlight on vermont because it's right. it's telling you like 
you're in for a you're in for Keep a going. ride you know like the, the, we're not you, you know there's yeah, no yeah. like there's no ramp up to this record you know uh whereas i think like if moonlight in vermont started it it would sort of like ease you into the world of it here whereas like now i think you're just completely thrown into the deep end especially the, then like darren mentioned dust blows forward and dust blows back being the second you know just coming like to this like weird acapella like yeah. poorly recorded thing second you know it's like if you if you're gonna if you're gonna try to get this like we're, we're starting you know heavy we're not we're not going easy on you yeah you mentioned yeah, I mean, this actually sorry i want to jump ahead a little bit in that you mentioned that it starts to sound normal to you as you you know listen enough and i was actually thinking about you know like i i study shakespeare basically and i can remember when it felt very like hard to understand and i've just like read enough of it that it it seems like normal like english to me you know when i read a shakespeare play um and i saw people you know in discussions that i was reading about this album they're sort of claiming that like all that is is habituation like you don't actually like it you're just sort of getting used to it does that distinction make any sense to you darren that just after listening to it that you just are used to it? is that what you're saying yeah, like, you know, that that's not the same as liking it, you know, because people say, oh, it requires like many more listens than normal music and it starts to make sense. And they're like, it's not actually like making sense. You're not starting to like it. You're just like getting, you know, it's habituation. Like you're just sort of getting used to it. It's not that you like it. Does that make sense to you? No, no, because I can listen to the shags, you know, a thousand <laughs> times and I'm never going to like it. Like I, it's just never going to it's not going to work because it's just bad. It's just bad. We'll come to that later. Mm-hmm. But anyway. With this, with this record, I, I feel like it's it's one of those records when we talk about this, like you know, that has lots of layers, and you with repeated listens, you peel through through these layers, you start to like unlock more things. You know, you come back to this record and you discover something else that you just hadn't heard before. I mean, that's a re- that's just a record that generally means there's a lot of density to it, right? There's a lot to d- discover. It's 28 songs, kind of to the, your point that you were just mentioning before. Like, yes, I'm looking at my play counts right now, and, like, the first, like, half of the record is higher than the second half, because that's just what would happen. So, what I was trying to do through this period of listening was I would just kind of jump in maybe halfway through or in the third quarter, third or fourth quarter of the record, um, just so that I could get more familiar and see what that experience is like starting fresh somewhere around there. And it made me appreciate those songs more. Again, to your question about whether it's just you know becoming habitual or whatever like i i don't i don't really agree with that like i think there's obviously something here that draws me in and keeps me coming back if it was just plain you know bad or just total chaos you know i don't think i'd 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 listen to it a bunch of times and i think you would come to the conclusion that like yeah there's just nothing here for me you know yeah that that that's a stupid idea you know like just because something like (laughs) i mean there's plenty of things that like you didn't like the first time you heard it uh but then you 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 kept at it or you know kept hearing it somewhere and then it eventually like it grows on you you start to like it i mean if if habituation like made it i I mean how many like acdc songs have sorry darren have i heard on the radio i still fucking think they suck you know i've been hearing them for 32 years now um you know i think i think that's stupid i mean just because it's like you know, like you can listen to to you know, uh, please please me and and love it the first time, 
Uh, because it's a, it's a simpler record. Some things have have tons of layers. Some things are seventy nine minutes long, um, and and it, it takes a bit to get into. I mean, did did most people like uh, you know like uh, free jazz? You know, Ornette Coleman like free jazz uh, the first time they listened to it. Probably right, not, right. Uh, but you know that's a like universally acclaimed like piece of art and and music and stuff. Just just because you have to listen to something uh, to and get into it and and learn to understand it has nothing to do with like you're not really enjoying yeah. it. That that's that's incredibly stupid. Yeah, and some things like are you know I think about like I don't know Strawberry Fields Forever or something. It's like immediately catchy, but there are still layers. Yeah, you can you can enjoy you can, like, it more. Come back to it for years and years. There are other things that are are really like hard work to get to that enjoyment. You know, you got to digest the layers. You know, this is obviously a good example of that. But even something like, I don't know, Kid A. I mean, who wasn't like a little, you know, bored? Because I don't think most people start with Kid A. And you're just like coming from OK Computer or something to Kid A. And you're like... Okay. Where's the guitar? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah that's are we going to kick things <laughs> that's off? That's a good you example. Know, but you get, you get there. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I, I don't really buy that. But... There is sort of a tendency, a lot of people want to find like a, an overarching theory to like explain this record, you know, to solve it. And I think that that's almost the genius of it. This is kind of like an over, like a meta overarching theory. But the idea is like the record invites, it presents itself like a puzzle that you have to solve or something like a code that you have to crack. And it does that in, you know, a lot of really clever ways, like the mythology around it, but also like the little callbacks. You know, I love when albums do this, but we get like a hair pie one and a hair pie two. And you you almost feel like um, the dust blows forward and the dust blows back uh, is like picked up again with Orange Claw Hammer mm-hmm. later, which is sort of like a similar low five vibe. You know, like there's little um, they're even like sometimes it feels like the bass will start to like do some variation on a riff from an earlier song or something. Um, it sort of invites you to be like, man, what is the, you know, what is the answer here? Do you guys, have you guys given that thought? Like, how do you, you know, unlock this album? I, I think people like also feel the drive to unlock it because some people enjoy it, you know? And, and most of the time, like this, mm-hmm. this album is sort of like, not that many people like, like it you know it, it's sort of like a you love it or you hate it it, it, it sort of elicits like a, a strong reaction one way or the other very few people you know don't fucking email me if you're one that thinks it's okay but uh you know like it, it's not a common like opinion you know um and so i think like the, yeah. those people who don't like it or haven't figured out yet you're like what do these people see that i'm not seeing or, or whatever you know and that sort right, of like right, right. gives you the drive to to, to try to figure it out yeah, I mean, we've talked about, like, we did a, an episode on Olivia Tremor Control's Black Foliage, and we all sort of agreed that it's the kind of album that for some reason makes you want to, like, solve mm-hmm. it, you know? You're like, what is the Black Foliage, you know? And, and you know, we talked about how that record does this. I mean, this record does the same thing, and I've I've seen interesting explanations, like, people have, have sort of said it's it's a serious joke, I think is kind of an interesting way to, like, sum the whole thing up. Um, uneasy listening, like, as if it's deliberately sort of like it's making you feel anxious on purpose or you're even like i've seen people say you're supposed to hate it you know like that's the point of it um people describe it as like musical shit posting or like trolling or something um like it's basically the destruction of pop like what you're listening to is like pop um you know music in the upside down or something like that you know um outsider art explanations i mean do you feel that drive darren and how do you kind of solve it I mean, I I don't, and Dan, don't don't hate me for this, but I, you know, I I don't 
I don't hate this record, but I don't really love oh, this record. Like, it's just not, <laughs> it's not going to be in my top 10 or top 20 all-time albums. <laughs> but I, I deeply appreciate it. Like, I, I enjoy listening to it. Like, you know, I will always probably come back to it. But not because I want to, like, unlock something or feel like there's something that I'm missing that's going to take me to that next plane of understanding, you know what I mean? Like, it's just not... I, and I don't know if that's what... You know, I, I think, Gabe, the way you're describing it, like, people think of it like that. Like, that there's a there's something to unlock and achieve, and then, like, once you're there, you're like, ah, yes, like, I finally get it. Like, I'm above the rest of yeah. these <laughs> plebs, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know, I just... This is not something that like really gets me like that, and I think there's there's certain types of art that you know you could look at um that you know maybe I'm not just crazy about like Andy Warhol, perhaps like I totally appreciate him and I get it, but it or even like Jackson Pollock or something like that you know like i I get it, but it's just like I'm not that anxious to keep coming back to it because I feel like I have to somehow understand the genius of it, you know what I mean well, one thing you just said, you know like the you want to be you know feel better than everybody you know be above the plebs i think that's like the the um what a lot of people who don't like the record like think the people who do like the record are trying yeah. to feel like uh I my wife so. included she said that today um but uh <laughs> i don't i honestly like i know i can be like elitist about shit sometimes but i honestly like don't feel like that you know, like I, I honestly like genuinely. How elitist of you to say? No, I know. I, I like honestly like genuinely enjoy this, but I think it's because like I, I, I think of it as a piece of art, and it like fits in with the art I like. Like I, yeah, I, yeah. I very much love Dadaism, which I, I think this fits a hundred percent within that world. Uh, I also love outsider art, and I, I think this fits in it at least somewhat. It, it's just like. I, I, it's not it's nothing like but i guess people like a lot of times with dada and stuff think like the same kind of thing like oh you know uh he made a toilet you know and, and art and it's yeah, like but yeah, that has the same like i think this record and fountain you know duchamp's fountain the the toilet turned on its side uh urinal whatever um like pe- like people think like oh duchamp was a hundred percent serious like he was poking fun at like the art world like there it's a joke right, like it, right. it's it's a joke that the rest of the you know world wasn't in on or whatever. And like the, there's humor in this, you know, like it's, it's not like Captain Beefheart's taking himself a hundred, you know, that there, there wouldn't be these little jokes about laser beans and, and uh, octofish right. and stuff in it. If, if there weren't, I mean, even the cover is like sort of silly and, and funny and stuff, you know? Well, the title too. Yeah, Trout exactly. Replica. Like, the like hell? there, yeah. there is like a, uh, um, a self-awareness. I think it's, it's very funny, actually, when he mentions the phrase Trout Mask Replica. Um, God, I forget which song it is. It's like right at the end there. Um, is it Old Fart? Yeah, yeah it's Old Fart at Play. He's basically, there are a couple songs where he's like just monologuing over the music, you know? And um, it cuts suddenly at the end to like the demo recording in the house, obviously, you know? Um, and he's sort of mentioning like wearing a trout mask and blah, blah, blah. And it's some like surrealist thing. And then it cuts to, this lo-fi version of the end of it and and he's suddenly reading like very dramatically to the point where it seems like a joke Mm -hmm. you know and the guy even comments like oh man it's so deep you know and you just feel like there's a little wink yeah there so yeah it's there you know and 
you know, for me, I think my, like, if I had to settle on an overarching, like, explanation, even though I like some of these, um, is that there are things about this album that are, like, deliberately put in there. I really believe this. Deliberately put in there to make you feel like you want to solve it. You know, I was saying this earlier. Um, the Just the fact that he's, like, lying about the backstory and stuff. Like, all the, the mystery around mm-hmm. it. It's almost like it's all... St- feels purposeful you know like a like a performance art piece almost um where it just makes you like want to get it and want to understand and for me it's like whenever somebody's making a post like how do i get into into trout mask replica like if you felt the urge to make that post like you're already under its spell Mm -hmm. you know like that's it working because it it draws you in and just like confounds you and makes you want to know and that's kind of like the fun of listening to the album, I think. Yeah. Um, one thing, though, I want to ask is like, I mean, how much is the critical response sort of responsible for that? You know, because a lot of it is that people just call it a classic. Like everybody calls it a classic, you know, and that's sort of what makes people want to know about it. You, you get what I'm saying? Like, is it the album itself that makes you want to solve it or is it all the positive reviews and it's, stuff. it's a combination because i think like if, if it wasn't for all the critical acclaim and stuff then the only way you would ever even hear about this record is if you got deep into music you know this would yes. be like something you dug into zappa and then you found out about his his friend he went to high school with and he's got this crazy record right. you know but because like like you said earlier like you know it's in the rolling stone uh thing uh beefheart was on david letterman once he, he was on carson before he played on snl you know uh not trout mask era but still you know like he right. has like the like this sort of fame about it so like i think like it's it's shown like more people have been like exposed to this record that otherwise like maybe would never hear about it you know like like a- as a kid if you pick up that uh you know and I'm, I'm sure nobody does this anymore with the internet but like like when we were young um you know if you pick up the the, the 500 greatest you know albums uh magazine of, of rolling stone or something and you see this in there next to uh you know uh, dark side of the moon or something and you liked dark side of the moon you think oh well yeah. you know what am i missing here you know like they were right on on, on this one you right, know, they gotta right. be you know at least close on this one or something and so i think like that definitely helps it but then the music itself like and the backstory and everything like you know like like the like the, the the critical review sort of like tempts you but then like the the album itself sort of like fully reels you in yeah i mean i i think a lot has to be said about the fact that this even you know exists the way that it does and the way it came together i mean you know i could totally see a world where you know beefheart's not good friends with zappa he doesn't have access to like a major label release or anything like that and he just doesn't, you know, maybe just doesn't get discovered or, or creates this album, exactly. but nobody ends up hearing it. You know what I mean? Like I, uh, that, you know, I think a lot has to be said with the fact that he had, you know, it was kind of like the right time. I mean, obviously you mentioned Dan that he had, you know, he had been popular. He, had, you know, he had a couple successful albums and stuff. People knew of him. Right. But the ability to just like completely do exactly whatever, like whatever you want, you know, and, and be able to do that without any worry about whether it's going to actually sell or people are actually mm-hmm. going to like it. Like, you know, that doesn't get, that opportunity does not come along. Especially in 1969, you know, For like sure. that, that, right. that was a right. time. Imagine. Yeah. A time when like to, the only way to like put music out was to like have somebody 
pay to put it on vinyl, pay for you to go to a, you know, and now anybody could, could exactly. record something on their computer, you know, for a couple hundred bucks. Uh, you know, back then that, that wasn't the case, you know? Yeah. I was also kind of wondering, like, there, there, there's probably some studio chatter or something like in 1969, but do you, do you feel like this was maybe like the most you got to see behind the scenes on an album? I'm having a hard time thinking of anything uh, Bob else. Bob Dylan has like... some studio chatter on uh, bringing it all back home. The beginning of a uh, Bob Dylan's 115th. Oh stream. yeah, that that's sort of a mistake. But there, there's just so much stuff like where you can basically hear them making the track. You know, like Zappa's mm-hmm. like literally in the studio on on the blimp, like. I'm just going to put that whole thing on the album. Like, yeah, it's literally a phone is, call, and, that, that song. Yeah, well, yeah he's, he's like, are you like, ready? Did you get that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's actually the mother playing like, the music during that, too. Right, you can really, really tell, honestly. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I know you can. <laughs> but it, it, it's, like, so transparent about the, like, you know, even the idea of, like, um, Orange Claw Hammer. In between every verse, it seems like he's hit stop and start. On yeah, the it gives you that little, like, you know? kind of noise, you know? Yeah, and... And just like, I don't know, it just feels like you you wouldn't have heard back in 1969, like this much insight into the recording process. You know, you wouldn't hear a guy being like, we're recording a bush, you know, (laughs) Um, it's there's something that must have been like a big part of like the mind blowing quality of this and like why it must have been so weird. But I feel like it's still, you know, it's still quite challenging for people, even after all this time, even after there's been like you know so much music inspired by it there's been so much weirder stuff i mean before this there was weirder stuff in free jazz and stuff like that but i don't know maybe the internet has made people even more familiar with that uh you know you don't have to like go buy uh you know some crazy free jazz record you can just check it out Mm -hmm. you know and yet it remains very you know very challenging and very polarizing isn't that kind of strange like doesn't it feel like the dust should be settled i think Um, by now i think that's like what makes this record so truly great you know what what thing is like still still experimental in popular music uh 50 years later you know i mean even even things like like steve reich or whatever like that are you know like come out or or uh, it's gonna rain or like still pretty experimental but like not as much as they were at the time but like something like this like there's still no record that really sounds like this people are still challenged by it you know when you when you think of other like people you know like the stooges uh like that was like a you know fun house and and the the self-titled like those were crazy records when those came out um also stooges in 69 um but today like there's so much music inspired by the stooges that like now we look back and we're like oh yeah they just invented this and now it's like norm the normal you know yeah. way of music you know what else is you have like, like an awareness of like this must have sounded really crazy at the time at the time but with beefheart you're like this sounds crazy really crazy to, today you know like what like <laughs> yeah. i can't think of anything else in popular music um that is like still as as experimental as it was uh 50 years ago do you guys think that if like this record came out though like you know in the last 10 years or something like that like do you think that it would still have the same i don't know sort of status i don't think so i really don't because you know this this has i don't know it's a weird question like has this been surpassed in weirdness you know maybe it was the weirdest thing like period in 1969 but you know, it's like, I don't know, you listen to like the boredoms or something. It's like kind of crazier than this. Um, there's plenty of shit that's like way like more avant-garde, more dissonant, mm-hmm. harsher, more abrasive than this. And the 
difference is that like this feels like at the you know like this massive landmark thing that like you have to reckon with you can't avoid it it feels like so historic and important and like that's the only way i can explain why because like when i listen to the boredoms or something i'm not like what the fuck this is so crazy you know i'm like oh okay it's like experimental yeah exactly I, I, there's something that like beef art feels out of place always yeah exactly i i think the other thing too is is like i said before like um in 69 like it was kind of like amazing that this record made it to the shelves you know uh i think if it came out today it would be like you know on Bandcamp or something and it would be like you know maybe, yeah, maybe yeah. people in the know would would know about it but it wouldn't it wouldn't have reached the like uh the mass audience that it that it did um you know, because yeah. it had the cosign of Zappa, and I think that's why, like, like uh, the guy who created The Simpsons, Matt Groening, he he, like, um, I've heard him talk about, like, he loves this record, and he said that, like, right. basically, he bought it because he was a huge Zappa fan. He listened to it, hated it, but then he he was like, right. one, it cost a lot of money because it was a double record, and two, like, he just knew that like Frank Zappa wouldn't lie to him, and so he like right. listened right. to it until he figured it out and and liked it, and so you know things like that, I think, just like don't happen anymore because you know if this just got thrown on spotify or Bandcamp, you know i think today like music's more disposable um you know you have such easy access to it you didn't spend 25 dollars to buy this record you you can give up you can give up on it like much much easier right right, right. quicker i'm yeah i'm having a little epiphany here because i feel like the it's like the context is the most important part of this you know album basically and there are other cases of this in history and stuff but you know you think like the you know duchamp's toilet like that's a crazy thing to see in a museum you know Mm -hmm. that's why it's crazy still today you know right it's not like a toilet like in the trash you know at the side of your house is like that interesting to see you know um if you went to you know whatever if you went to like um just a a show at like the house of blues and you saw you know whatever like gg allen that would be like fucking wild you know what i mean <laughs> yeah, or if you like went to your local like amc theaters and they were like playing you know some super experimental film or something you know it's it's the context and you're just like looking around at everybody watching you know a racer head you're looking at a bunch of boomers like watching a racer head <laughs> or something like that and you i know, like and david just lynch like is your jaws boomer. on the floor yeah yeah that's true actually <laughs> they maybe did see a racer head um but you know what i'm saying darren like that's almost like what makes this so shocking is that the context does not match the sound of the music. Right. In the era that it's coming out of, you know, and it's just a simple fact that like, you know, there are, there are so few lost records or records that are way out there that came from the sixties. Whereas like you mentioned today, Dan, like, you know, there are so many people who are like experimenting or probably sound somewhat like, you know, Captain Beefheart in just in the fact that they're very like amateur or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Like you just mm-hmm. wouldn't be able to acknowledge or recognize its importance. Um, it's like rarity uh, in today's world. Like I, I think the fact that it can it comes from this era and has had decades, obviously of influencing other people and these, and these other, you know, larger, more popular um, artists, you know, kind of, kind of constantly keeping Captain Beefheart's name out there. The critics constantly like, mentioning like yeah this record is still still yeah. something that's important like i mean that's its legacy is kind of the reason why we're still we're here talking about it you know what I mean? right and like i say it doesn't 
it doesn't belong on the Rolling Stone 500 albums list. Right. That's why it's so mm-hmm. crazy right. and so right. interesting. Um, okay, so I want to kind of rifle through a couple of criticisms, criticisms. I was actually pretty interested to watch, you know, Anthony Fantano of The Needle Drop did a little review of this album, and it was pretty negative. Um, and, you know, I've seen other, like, negative responses, like, on Reddit and stuff, and um, I just kind of want to, like, rifle through these, you know, like, rapid-fire approach. Um, you know, people say that nothing really matches that you could like swap the vocal parts from one song to another or the guitar parts, et cetera. And it like wouldn't really make a difference to the effect of the album. Is that like a valid criticism to you? Uh, No, because like I said before about the cut up thing, um, that's what cut up is, you know, like that, that's (laughs) the point of cut up. Uh, it is swappable and that's the point. Uh, so no, you don't understand it. If you think that, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I mean, I don't really buy into that. I mean, I don't think that, uh, there's anything wrong with being able to cut something up and place it somewhere else. You know what I mean? I think, you know, part of the beauty of like understanding this puzzle is, you know, figuring out these little pieces and these parts and stuff. And I'm never left thinking like, well, well, this sounds just like, you know, a song I had just listened to 10 songs ago. You could probably cut it and put it over there and think of that as like a bad thing. Like to me, that's like, that's pretty cool. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I agree with all this, and yet I would also say that I don't feel like it's true that you could swap the vocals. I feel like they actually do, like, really fit the song in a way, you know? It's like, um, you know, I, I guess occasionally it's it's actually interesting that it sounds like the vocal part, like, is on the wrong song, you know, or something like that. But it's not like it's it would be better on a different song, you know? No, exactly. It's like, it feels like it fits right there. What about the, uh, we talked about this a little bit, but people say that the mixing is terrible, like the vocals are too loud and stuff, which I don't get this at all. I, I mentioned before that, like, I think what makes it really interesting is how separated everything feels, you know, because you can really hone in on little individual components. And like the point of the record is almost to emphasize that there is some disconnect between everything. What do you guys make of that? Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think that's a, a stupid criticism, too, because it, it's part of the, you know, the, 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 like the guitars being so like, uh tinny and like harsh and you know the it's like they're they're focusing on like the attack of the guitar i I don't know this is like a criticism saying like uh you know i'd like pollock but i I wish he used more you know blue or so you know it's just like it's it's like a stupid thing like i I don't know getting mad yeah i mean i think i i I think mixing is part of this whole entire product you know what i mean I, i i think that his vocals being as loud and abrasive as they are is part of it. Like I can't imagine turning that down or smoothing out exactly (laughs) the instruments or whatever. Like that's like saying, Oh, well I wonder what, you know, Frownland would sound like if it was actually played to just a standard beat and like just a normal song. Right, right, right. Like, who, who, you, who you're fundamentally kind of changing. It. I know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or you're like, I like this Picasso painting, but I wish it wasn't like so out of, you know, order. <laughs> I wish it looked like a real person, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Um, I hear people call this pretentious a lot, which we talked a lot, uh, about a little bit. Dan started to say some pretentious things, actually. Um, <laughs> To me, I feel like whenever somebody calls something pretentious, like they're almost always an idiot. Um, it's like, and that might be a pretentious thing. To say, but it's like, <laughs> I've never heard this used word, this word used like correctly because, yeah. in fact, I wish more music was more pretentious, you know, because when people say that, what they mean is that it's like, it's like creative, I don't know, artistic or like difficult or something. To me, pretentious is when you're like, 
you know, I will sum up the whole human experience in my, you know, exactly 14 hour film, you know, documentary film, you know, or whatever, like when it, when it, and the point is that like when it crashes and burns, that's the only time it's pretentious. You know what I mean? Like how, what, and, and besides, how could you even call this pretentious when it's so it's self-aware at points yeah like you can't i don't think you could be pretentious and self-aware and this record clearly has self-awareness in it and and yeah i completely agree with you like uh pretentious like calling something like this pretentious basically means i don't understand it and and you're right and i resent that other people exactly and i i think like 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 what you said like like something like uh like grimes uh, on twitter and stuff where she's always like talking about you know some ai thing you know something that clearly she doesn't like actually understand and she's just sort of talking nonsense um and then like trying to like say it's about her record or something you know like that kind of crap that's pretentious you know like because there's no self-awareness in it it's gonna crash and burn it won't actually have anything to do you know it's just like some sort of uh a ploy well uh i mean i don't think the record itself is pretentious i don't i don't i agree with you it's like totally self-aware but you know i find it a little difficult when people may like say that it's you know when they hold it in higher regard than like other records that i feel like are just you know just on a different totally different realm you know what i mean like it's it's hard for me to kind of describe it but like dan i know you like the shacks i Mm. you know i don't know why you do but i know you do and I just, I don't know. I feel like that's just, it's a bit, it's strange to me because you would hold that record in higher regard than like, you know, probably like car seat headrest or something, right? Is that like probably fair to say? And I, that's I'll say, how you feel about it, I guess, but. I like the I like philosophy of the world more than I liked any car seat headrest record, but I don't think they're in the same. <laughs> it's, it's apples and oranges. Well, it's, I like it's hard, sh- right? Because like, like Pitchfork made that 60s albums list and it was really weird because it was like number 63, this free jazz album by Ornette Coleman. Number, you know, 62, uh, you know, the Beatles, Revolver. Right, you know, it just exactly. feels like, how the fuck can you say that that's like one spot? Yeah, They're not yeah, even yeah, in the yeah. same world. No, exactly. Um, but it does feel like, you know, you should be able to say something like, this is better than this. I mean... But I get no, what you're getting at, Darren. Yeah. But, yeah, but if you were like to say, this is the greatest piece of music I've ever heard. This is better than the White Album. You know what I mean? Like... And I'm sure there's people out there who probably feel that way. And I think this record is kind of one of those records that, like, you guys can imagine people being, like, like just, you know, out of spite, calling this, like, the greatest record of all yeah, time. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? yeah. That's, I feel like that let's, gets in Let's the test it. Dan. Um, <laughs> Drop Mask Replica or Kid A? Oh, my God. Ah, man. Oh, it's hesitating. Oh my I, I like Trout Mask more. Like it, oh, if wow. you, but again, it's a different, it's different world. Like if you were like, if you made me make my pitchfork, like the best albums ever, like it would be, it would end up being like one of those shitty lists because it would be like, yeah, it would be, it would be like blonde on blonde here, you know, and, uh, the Stooges or something like, Steve right yeah, Steve, yeah, exactly. Like it, it would be like just shit that doesn't belong in the same, uh, realm. It's a better thing to say, like, what are my favorite, you know, uh, electronic records or something or or like you right. know regular rock records like then kid a 
it would would maybe be somewhere in there um not top 20 but you know whatever um, <laughs> whereas like trout mask if you Hot said take. like different podcast. what are some of my favorite like pieces of art or something like trout mask would would uh you know come up in, yeah in, oh that's even know? better okay so trout mask replica or picasso's guernica <laughs> <laughs> this is where it gets even dicey well yeah. I, again I, I love like dadaism and stuff so i i would put like most forms of dada above guernica but i do wow I, hot I, it's the same thing it's, it's, again anything you're just... beat trout mask replica at this point <laughs> oh yeah but yeah i mean there's plenty of things i like more than you know trout mask isn't my favorite album of all time or anything it, it's probably in the top you said 20. top 10 though I said maybe top 10, definitely top 20, but definitely top 15. All right. Well, you know, the last thing that I hear a lot of people say is that it's like too long. There's not enough variation. I think we talked about that, that that, uh, that's probably not true. And in in fact, you know, to sort of like wrap this all up, I want to return to the original questions I asked, which is like, what makes it so hard to get into? Why should people get into it? How do you get into it? You know, the best advice I think I could offer is seriously divide it by sides of the L- the original LPs, okay? So like four little mini albums. You mentioned this, Darren, like how it was really helpful to jump in at random spots. But if you think about it, like basically, you know, the A side is Frownland to Moon on Vermont. That's like a, like just listen to that, you know, one day or whatever. And just like kind of get into that a little bit. The B side, uh, Pachuco Cadaver through Dolly's Car. That's really like a nice little suite of songs. So we got Hair Pie Bake 2 through Ant-Man B. And the last one is Orange Claw Hammer through Veterans Day Poppy, which we didn't mention, by the way, but is like such a fucking amazing track. Um, but you kind of get what I'm saying. Like, if you break it up, mm-hmm. I feel like everything will start to sound, it will start to sound as wonderful to you as like Frownland kind of does to everybody. Yeah, it just makes it digestible. Um, I mean, because any record that's this long is like hard to take in you know even even things i love like like uh, swans and 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 godspeed and stuff like when when something is like this long i mean it's a lot of time to devote to one one thing and especially one thing that's like this strange you know like like at least like uh shape of jazz to come or something like isn't uh 80 minutes long you know like it, 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 it if you break it up you get acquainted with each little piece like yeah then you can piece it all together and you're 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 loving it you're in there you're in the club yeah and it's not arbitrary because i think people in 1969 they probably put this record on the a-side came to an end and they probably had to sit there for a minute and collect their fucking thoughts because (laughs) of the craziness they just heard right and they probably like caught their breath before they switched to the b-side you know it's i feel like it's a perfect way to get into this what do you think darren yeah, I totally agree. And that, that sort of format is just lost with like digital, you know what I mean? Like you're just, yeah, you're just yeah, left starting with the first. But um, yeah, I mean, I think this is a record where like you don't have to start with the first track and go all the way through. You just don't. Like I think you can hop around to these like different sides, like as you sort of mentioned. And I would totally encourage that um, just because, as you mentioned, like, you know, any long record is going to kind of like wear you out. You know what I mean? Um. And the energy, the, you know, momentum that this record pretty much maintains all the way throughout may at first come across as like sort of samey because I mean, hey, it's two guitars, a bassist and a singer or, you know, and a drummer, right? right. Like, I mean, it's, it's the same core group the whole way through, um, maybe with like some overdubbed, you know, horns here and there. So correct. The variation is a little limited, but I think, you know that's not important like it it doesn't have to be like so varied like it doesn't have to be a white album you know what i mean like 
just because it's long doesn't mean you have to like constantly be changing things so dramatically. I think just taking it in chunks makes the makes things stand out in ways that like it's hard to do when you're already like 20 songs in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it's almost impossible, I think. Um any kind of closing thoughts on this? I actually feel like we did a pretty good job uh, solving solving the mystery. I mean, it feels like you know, it's kind of obvious why it's so hard to get into. Um we have really, I think explain that people should try to get into it you got to reckon with it um same way i mean like if you're into if you're into art you know you might not like andy warhol like you said but you like you know you got no choice you got to look at some andy warhol you got to think about it a little bit um you know so and then i think uh you know sort of digesting it the way we have i think is actually a nice way to get into any any final thoughts or should we move on to some listener emails whoa 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 whoa. hold on i just want to say for the record (laughs) the shags Just, just terrible. Like not even in oh the same ballpark well, as Captain Beefheart. Here. Okay, this is the. These I'll, are these are girls who don't even know what the <laughs> hell they're doing. It sounds awful. Like they're just they're really bad at playing their instruments. Well, this was, these guys it, are actual like real. I was so glad when I read that. I was like, oh great! Like they are they are actually yeah. they know what they're doing. This is not even close to the shacks. I. I'll, I'll take this opportunity, and this was unplanned, but I did put that uh, that sh- our old review of the Shags uh, up on our YouTube page. So if you'd like to hear Darren bitch for twenty something minutes, uh, yeah, go ahead listen to that. Really a hot button uh, topic. And we, we actually in that interview, I listened back when I was editing it, um, just because it was really funny. Um, we actually do talk about Captain Beefheart uh, quite a bit. Um, oh wow! But I, I and just just quickly, I, I you know. The shags are are one hundred percent outsider art. Uh, I think a lot of people sort of like confuse Beefheart as being outsider, uh, but I think he's much more like Dadaist. Definitely has some outsider yeah. qualities, but I think again, it's sort of two different worlds. Um, yeah, and, yeah. and and that's the thing. And also, the shags are good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would also add that the fact that you had to read that these are trained musicians. Oh, um, you got him. Proves you got that him. you're like kind of full of shit because you <laughs> wow. couldn't tell the difference yourself. Well, okay, come on. Oh. First off, I already, I, <laughs> listen, I knew listening before I read that, that like they were already better. Like the, so it, whether they were like amateurs or not, like they were already way no, better than the, the, the click, The clickbait <laughs> title for this uh, will be uh, podcast host murdered live on air. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into the emails. As a reminder, you can email us anything you would like to ask, popshieldpod at gmail.com. We're always looking for uh, suggestions uh, for episode ideas and stuff like that. Our first email this week comes from Felix, who writes, I'm also curious about why he wrote a few nice things at the beginning. Thanks for that. Uh, Why Dan dislikes Bowie's music between 1983 and 2013. The dislike of the 80s stuff is understandable, but I really love most of the stuff after that. In fact, One Outside is my favorite album by David Bowie, period. Wow. Um... It's actually rare that I'd find someone who doesn't like albums like Earthling, Heathen, or The Next Day. Which of these albums have you given a full listen, and what are the issues that could lead to disliking these albums? All right. Well, I've actually I've listened to every Bowie album uh, ever. Uh, unfortunately, for some of them, um, and I, I I do. And when I he he mis, mis misunderstood me a little bit. I said that everything is sort of lackluster to bad. Uh, and w- I guess what I sort of meant is that like nothing is really essential listening. I think uh, between Scary Monsters and Black Star, um, actually I do like one outside. Uh, strangely enough, it's about outsider art. 
um bowie was a like a big oh. collector of of outsider art and stuff wow. um and it is a good record it's cool it's got like this um this weird like story um it, it's like a concept record it's it's pretty long um i i like it um but if somebody was like i'm i'm gonna try to get into david bowie i would not say start with one outside you know i would say once you you got into everything else that's that's great go ahead and move on to that uh earthling it's also okay um it, it was made in the 90s. He was, like, sort of getting into electronic music. Um, if I'm remembering correctly, like, Trent Reznor uh, is either on it or helped him with it. Um, it's not bad. It just sounds pretty dated in, in 2019. It's, it's got a very, like, 90s electronic sound to it. It's okay. Uh, Heathen, Next Day, both of those, uh, they're, they're records that, like, when I listen to them, they're not bad. It's just, like, you can listen to them, and at the end, you're like, oh, what even happened? You know, like, I don't even remember a single thing of that. And also, like, Heathen has, yeah. uh, I think it's three covers, um, and they're just sort of, like, weirdly chosen, and, yeah. it, you know, it's almost like he, he just needed some, some more stuff to, to pad like out. the 80s albums when he's doing, like, uh, God Only Knows, like, for some reason. Yeah, it's just like, it's like he needed a little something to pad. I think the next day is better. It's, like, sort of working towards uh, Black Star, um, yeah, yeah. sort of. But again not not essential i don't i don't think like i i wouldn't tell i mean once somebody like loved all the other records and they were like what should i listen to in this period i would these are the records i honestly would would pick and uh wouldn't pick anything other than these ones i mean i think we're gonna get like a critical reevaluation, which is just sort of inevitable when somebody dies you know like pitchwork reviewed like all of prince's albums mm-hmm. and it's like uh, okay i never heard anybody say around the world in the day is like a masterpiece until now but you know maybe there's a little like rosy you know rose colored glasses there but it's kind of like you know man let's just admit that this guy was like a fucking genius and we didn't appreciate him as much as even we should have yeah. um i feel like a lot of these albums because it is the prevailing thing like from like 1980 all the way to black star there's just nothing good in there and i think we're gonna get a lot of reevaluation. and in fact last year we got this really cool box set of the 80s albums um and I think they are flawed, but would actually make for a super interesting episode that maybe we'll get a chance to do one day. But I was kind of hoping at this year, maybe it'll be next year, I don't know, but like the 90s stuff, I'm, pre- I'm assuming we'll get a box set as well. And then probably the later stuff uh, a couple years later. Um, when that happens, we should definitely dive into it and discuss it. Um, any thoughts on this, uh, Darren? Nope. well we got another email from ghoulish who recommended that we check out women's 2010 release public strain i didn't get a chance to yet but based on his description i definitely plan to compared it to Viet Cong, uh, which sounds really it is members Um, from Viet Cong. oh i didn't know yeah it's a a good record actually i like that record okay well he also asked us though to touch on some of the very worst albums of the 2010s as as opposed to the best which we covered a few episodes ago does anything come to mind as the worst albums of the last 10 years yes anani uh hopeless i knew yeah. it that wow. that is that is one of the worst things anybody who listened to the old podcast i constantly compared i think that's the lowest score i've ever given anything um i hate that record so much it it is pretentious that that that's a that is true that's, that's a, a correct like usage of pretentious with it's like it's like overreaching in its themes and i think failing in them I don't want to get into the whole thing. Very self-important. Very self-important. I hate it. That album sucks. Worst album (laughs) of the 2010s. Maybe one of the worst albums of all (laughs) time. It's tricky, you know, because it's like, 
most of the time, if I don't like something, I'm like not going to continue listening to it. We had that little, those couple of years when we were doing the previous podcast, and we were trying to listen to like all of the new music that Pitchfork was hyping up. And so I was kind of like forced to listen to stuff that I hated a lot. Mm-hmm, and same. so those are the albums that kind of stick out in my mind. But it's like, you know what I mean, Darren? It's like a little hard to like pick something that, that is the worst because I probably didn't listen to it more than five seconds if it really is the worst. Yeah. And I'm sure there are albums that, you right. know, came out that we just probably didn't even hear didn't need to hear you know what i mean like you just kind of know that they're probably among the worst of the uh the decade um i can't really think of anything in particular that i i do know that i had given some like low scores especially when we were reviewing some of those later albums but like i i just i can't remember them because you know i've already yeah. forgotten them thankfully well, since I hate, yeah, I mean, I, since I hate things more than you, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you a couple extra ones. Uh, Casey Musgraves, <laughs> Golden Hour. Uh, that, that one, yeah, that, everybody, that, that one's big. See, so, that's my thing. I, I'm like the the albums that I was thinking of are ones that are like pretty much okay, but are so overhyped that it causes me to hate them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that that I, I, Casey Musgraves maybe maybe lands in that category. Anani, Casey I Musgraves think it's was just, just like treated like, um, you know just whatever just another country pop album i might even be like this is a pretty good country pop album but people are like crowning her like the you know queen of the 2010s i'm like fuck that you know and i feel that i feel that way about a lot of a lot of stuff that i jotted down um i also wanted to know you know you mentioned anani i knew you were gonna um (laughs) and you know it's a weird thing because so i was thinking about this when we were like kind of revisiting some 2010 stuff about how you know skrillex right was so popular early in the 2010s and that whole dubstep sound that he was like kind of at the forefront of really like ended up sort of making its way into a lot of stuff. You know, I'm thinking about like there are like a ASAP Rocky, like his song Wild for the Night or something. You know, there were always those songs that would have those dubstep quality. How about like Kanye and Jay Z's, um, God damn it, what's it called? Something, something Holocaust. Oh, yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? I know what you're talking about. God, whatever that was. Um, you know, it's like, any song that has even a hint of dubstep now sounds like the most dated trash ever. <laughs> like it was like this little phase that just ruined everything. And I was thinking about like Anani and Arca, who I kind of like, but I feel like we're going to feel that way about Arca in the 2010s as well, which is like all the like alternative R&B stuff that he produced is going to sound like so lame pretty soon. You know what I mean? Yeah, I could I could see that. I mean, there's there's plenty of stuff that like at the time um, it is really good. But then when you look back, you're like, yeah, you could sort of see it was a fad or whatever. Uh, yeah. We we t- we did a whole podcast uh, on the other one about it. Like, I sort of feel that way about Run the Jewels. Like when when the first record yeah. came out, and even sort of the second record, I was like, oh, you know, these guys are great. It's really fun. You know, whatever. And then now like that third record i i really kind of like it, it really had waned on me by then i really hated it and now even like like them being on like danny brown's new record and stuff i'm like oh you know these 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 corn balls like popping up <laughs> over here you know but but like it's odd because like at the time like i thought that record was was really great and i think right, a lot, i mean right. it was either run the jewels one or two was like the album of the year for pitchfork that year i think it was two um two yeah i don't remember where it was in the you know best of the 2010s but it, it damn sure wasn't in like you know the top five yeah, or, yeah. or something you know really i think it was pretty low honestly there. yeah um okay so that's some stuff i did want to shout out um you guys remember i think the maddest i got on our previous podcast was about this that group i i be yay i be ye ash the one with like just a song that's just a michelle obama speech oh, played over like soulful yes vocals and i was just so <laughs> outraged that like you could 
try to be deep by just playing a Michelle Obama speech like <laughs> I d- for fuck's sake. Yeah, I, I hid that one. Also, Thundercat Drunk that has actual fart noises on it. Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah. I hate that record. <laughs> wow. What a trip down memory lane this is. <laughs> we should start reviewing records we hate again. <laughs> it is a little fun. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's enough uh, shitting on things for, for today. Uh, so what do you think? We'd love to read your thoughts on the air. Email us, popshieldpod at gmail.com. Uh, we'll have next episode two weeks. Not sure uh, what yet, but I'm trying to remember to post about it on uh, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, those are the best places. I don't really like Facebook. Um, if you like the show, help us out. Subscribe. Leave us a five-star review uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And stay connected. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all that stuff is at Pop Shield Pod. And we'll see you in two weeks. See ya. So long.